The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is the Jesse Kelly Show on a Friday in Ask Dr. Jesse Friday and the final day for a fresh Jesse Kelly show in this specific format. I'm so excited for today. You have so many great questions. You have questions about the new show. You have questions about the trail of tears 
how you should think of things like that if you are an Indian. We have a question from uh, an Indian family. We have questions about RVs. Joe Biden, should you send your kid to college in television commercials? We have cheeseburger questions. It is all over the map today, and it's going to be a blast of a show for anyone confused or who has missed the news, because I realized I had some emails saying, I missed the news. What's the news? Don't panic. When I say last show in this format, what I mean is we did make our big announcement. The show apparently took off. You are insane, but apparently the show took off. Uh, Premier Networks, by a mile, the largest syndicator in the United States of America, has signed the show and has put the Jesse Kelly show on its prime time lineup. I mean, the lineup is the Glenn Beck show, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, and Sean Hannity, and then me. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. On um, That show launches on June 28th. Because we have so much work to do, just with studio stuff, a bunch of boring technical stuff I'm not going to bother you with. We have so much work to do between then and now. This is the last show in this format. I have questions all over the place like this one from an email. Dear Jesse, how can we listen to your new show? Will it be podcasted? I need the whole show, so on and so forth. For one, how do you listen? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I am currently syndicated, which means the show is nationwide. But it's 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 on, I think, 15, 15 stations maybe. It's about to be over 200. How you listen is this. It's it's. I don't want to say, well, it's going to be on locally somewhere. It's very likely you're going to be able to pick it up on the dial. It's going to be 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, live in most markets across the country, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. But if you miss it, yes, they are still going to podcast it. As easy as it's been for you to access the show now, that's only going to get easier, and that's really hitting home for me, I, I mean – working with a major company like Premier, how much, just how easy they make everything for you. Everything will be at a touch of a button, and I'll let you, I'll keep you updated on all that. Don't worry. Don't worry at all. Now, let's get to our history segment, because one, I love this story, and two, I need to get through it, because there are questions like, I have to answer today. There are questions I have to get to. It's going to be a blast of a day. Oh, one more thing. You remember that lieutenant governor of North Carolina? You remember the guy who who blew the roof off the place when he gave this speech? What was it, uh, last week, Chris? I think it was last week when he gave this speech. During 9-11, people running away from those burning buildings, running away in horror. We saw policemen and firemen running to those buildings, basically running to their deaths to go help others because they saw trouble and they knew that they were needed. That's got to be us in this day right here. We've got to run to the trouble, folks. And what is the trouble? The trouble is the Biden administration that is seeking to turn this country into a socialist hellhole. The trouble is Antifa. That wants to run yes, to that lieutenant governor that had us all coming out of our chairs, that guy's coming on the show in an hour and a half. And I just, look, you know, you know, before I get to the history thing, What's the thing I hate the most? What do I hate the most? Drawing attention to myself or bragging about myself. What, Chris? 
I do want to point out, though, that the day we played the audio, I looked right at Jewish producer Chris, and I said, Chris, get that guy on the show. You heard me say it on the air. And that guy's coming on the show. This, this, Chris, I'm drunk with power, okay? I'm drunk with power. Have we, should we tell him who our first guest is on the show on 628? We have to tell him, right? Here, you know what? I just made an executive decision. I already know who the first guest on my show is going to be on June 28th on the new launch. I think it would be unfair to treat the current Jesse Kelly show audience to anything else than giving them a sneak peek that no one else will know about until right before it. I'll tell you what. Second hour. The beginning of the second hour of this show, I'm going to tell you who the first guest is on the new show's launch, it's somebody you've heard of, and it's somebody you're going to enjoy. Buckle up for that. Chris, write it down so I don't forget it. Start of the second hour, I will tell you who that guest is going to be on the 28th. Now to our story. Europe is a messy place. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why it's such a messy place. And when I say messy, I mean They're just always fighting. They're always at each other's throats. It's constant. Now, I'm I'm not one of these anti-Europeans either. The chicks are hot. The food's good. The beer's delicious. It's fine. But they're always fighting. I do see why George Washington put specifically in his farewell address, we don't get involved in Europe's wars. They're always in a war with somebody. We're not getting involved in that. So let's talk about some of their wars. Mainly, let's go to World War I. No, it's not a World War I story today. But let's go to the completion of World War I. Now, specifically, let's focus on Poland, which wasn't really a thing during World War I. Now, the Polish people were very much a thing. And this is one of the things, as you know, everyone knows I'm a Polish fan. I love Polish people. I love the country. I love the anti-communist bent. I just love them. Well, Poland wasn't really a thing during World War I, but the Polish people were, and the Polish people were hardcore nationalists and wanted their own country, period. End of story. Now, they didn't really get a ear from anyone like Russia and Britain and France. You know, those powers— They didn't really lend the Polish people an ear who were like, hey, can we have a country when this is done? Hey, if we fight for you, you, would you give us a country? Well, Germany and Austria-Hungary seized on that during the war. And they said, hey, Poland, look, give us some troops, help us out, and maybe we'll help you out. To which Poland, who's not stupid, said, well, what does that mean, help you out? Because Poland wanted their own nation. That's the promise they wanted. You're going to help us out, right? And Germany says, I might. And Poland Poland keeps going back. These are not stupid people, despite all the Polish jokes, you know. By the way, quick side note. Did you know the Polish people are stupid jokes? Did you know those jokes were actually started by the Nazis and then carried on by the extremely anti-Polish dirty communists in Russia And the Soviet Union is the one who brought the Polish people are stupid jokes 
to Hollywood. They mainstreamed them here in America so it would turn the world kind of against Polish people. All right, be that as it may. Just a quick side note. Germany won't make the promises that Poland wants. So Poland doesn't necessarily fight with Germany. It's, it's, it's more complicated, but let me just say this. At the end of the war, end of World War I, they're working everything out. And the Allies realize, okay, we need, we need a Poland here. Now, why? Why would France and Britain and Russia have a Poland? Why would they want a Poland? You know what may help you understand that? We're going to do a little experiment right here on the radio, unless you're driving. I want you to pull up a map. I want you to look at geography. Look at Poland. And when we get back from this break, you tell me why they would want a Poland. Hang on. I'm reconsidering Bitcoin. I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. We got an email about Bitcoin. I'm reconsidering it. Don't cheer if you're one of these Bitcoin nut jobs and don't roll your eyes if you're one of the people who scoff at it. I'll explain what I'm going through here in a moment. Back to our story. Did you look at your map? It was a simple homework assignment. Did you look at the map? Why would France, Britain... Why would they want Poland? Why would they want Poland to be a thing? Remember what was happening in, the, in Russia at this point in time. This was the communist revolution. The communists had taken over the largest country on the planet. Don't ever discount how fearful the rest of Europe was about communism. They were already, I mean, they were fighting tooth and nail with their own people who were pushing socialism in France, they were really worried about communism. So we have all these Polish people, Polish nationals, they want a Poland. Okay, well, we'll give you a Poland right by Russia. That way, if those dirty commies turn out to be as filthy and violent and dirty as we think, you can go ahead and slow them down a bit on the way to us. Now, there's another thing you have to remember going into our brief little story today. And you and I have never experienced this. Well, I take that back. Someone in my audience, a lot of people have probably experienced this post-World War II in my audience. But I've never experienced it because I'm only 39. A massive world war. I'm not talking about just a normal war either. A massive world war. You know, we've had two of them. At the back end of those wars. This is going to come into play in our story today. Countries are broke financially. Countries are broken spiritually. They just, uh, you can't, uh, the numbers of young men of France and Britain and Germany, the numbers lost at the end of World War I were so staggering and had never been seen before. You're losing 20% of your male population. That's not, that's just not, that's not something you and I can even comprehend. So these are countries, again, broke financially and broken, meaning at this point in time, you have no more stomach for war with anyone. 
Now, what's going on in this kind of new, not new, I'm going to get emails, angry emails. It's too complicated to go into. In this country of Poland, well, Poland was struggling to get their feet under them. Remember, the world's economy wasn't doing great post-World War I initially, and then eventually we had the Roaring Twenties, but initially it wasn't doing great. The peasants in Poland had been ravaged by poverty and famine since 1914. And there was a huge societal rift in Poland between the rural peasants and the urban elites. That sound familiar at all? Huge, huge gap in between them. Now the Soviets, well, what can we say? What are communists? You're a, you're a Jesse Kelly Show listener. What is communism? Is communism a political ideology? No, it's a religion of domination and destruction. The Soviets, had, the, the, the communists hadn't taken over the Soviet Union for 15 minutes before they looked at Poland and said to themselves, okay, well, let's go take it over. Without a second thought, it was let's go take it over. And remember, to them, it's their religion. They were evangelizing. They were simply evangelizing with the Red Army. In fact, I don't want to give away the end here, but had Poland not stopped them in the end, the Soviet Union, understand this, the initial communists, they had every intention of just taking this Red Army as far as they could possibly go to make sure everyone is a communist. Remember, communism must be for everyone. The Soviets build up troops and take off. Now, what is Poland dealing with as far as the military goes? It's, it's again, complicated, but I'll put it to you this way. They had very brave troops, many of them very well trained. The Polish economy, as I just pointed out briefly, wasn't exactly the best. And so what they didn't have was a lot of consistency when it comes to this unit has the same weapons as this unit, who has the same ammo as this unit. Why does that stuff matter? Well, it matters a lot when it comes to supply. Poland had around 110,000 troops at this point. Soviets had about 150,000. But the Soviets had a gigantic advantage over Poland. What was that advantage? Cavalry and artillery. The Soviets had a lot more of both of them. Now, remember this about cavalry. You don't think about this as much now because all the cav units are all tank units. Horses, when it comes to combat, are all about speed. Horses give you speed. That matters a lot. You have a man on the battlefield. He can move at four or five miles an hour, maybe 10 for a very brief sprint. Or you have a horse that can run 30. Think about the difference in how fast that can move a unit here or cut you off from this. Cavalry is huge in combat. So how does this thing kick off? Well, the Soviets are building up troops on the border, so the Poles, in response, have to build up troops on the border. And here's one of those ironic, terrible things about life. If one side starts building up troops, you have to build up troops to protect yourself, right? You can't leave your border unsecured. However... Having two different troop buildups side by side almost always virtually guarantees combat. It's going to happen. Lo and behold, 
a border spat breaks out, and pow, this thing is on. This is called the Polish-Soviet War, in case you're wondering what this is. Most people don't even know the thing existed. We're about the year 1920 at this point. Poland, as they often do, acquitted themselves very, very, very well, especially early on. Poland goes charging in. Poland captures Kiev. And the Soviet Union, as they often are, was slow. It's huge and it's slow. Now, why does the Soviet Union, uh, before that it was Russia in World War I, what, why do they always have that reputation as being slow? Well, remember, how often do we look at a map? We do it a lot. Not because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not because it's anything else but informative. It should tell you something you didn't already know. Just like you did before looking at Poland, pull up a map of Russia. Why do you think they're slow? You don't snap your fingers and teleport men to the front line. You must bring them there by horse, by train. It takes time for the Soviet Union to mobilize its forces and get them to where the actual fighting is. They've lost wars because of this before. The Russo-Japanese War, part of the reason they lost it is they couldn't get their men to the front in time for for Japan to, 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 to fight off Japan. Now, the Soviets get their butts kicked at first, but then they get their troop build up and they start battling back. Now, there are a lot of benefits to communism. Now, let me explain. Hold on. As you know, there's no one in the world who hates communism more than me. There are a lot of parts of it that give it inherent advantages. The relentless, always attacking, always destroying attitude and treating it like a religion, that's an advantage. It's hard to withstand that constant attack, right? How many times, how often now do you feel like you're being assaulted on all sides? You can't turn on the TV. You can't turn on the radio. You can't listen to the president. You can't listen to your teachers. It feels like it's coming from everywhere all the time, doesn't it? Because it is. That's an advantage. They have a built-in advantage like that. But like everything else, there are advantages and disadvantages. Communists, and this will be our saving grace in the end, communists have one gigantic glaring disadvantage. What is it? I'll tell you in a sec. Jesse Kelly show. We have that stud lieutenant governor from North Carolina coming up in the second hour. Gosh, it's going to be great. In about 20 minutes from now, I'm going to reveal to the current Jesse Kelly show listeners who my first guest is going to be on June 28th. You've heard of this person. I'll just leave it to you that way. I figure, you know what? What what better way to say thank you Right off the bat. Now, before I get to the disadvantage communists have that affects them in this war, I do want to address something really quick. Jewish producer Chris said to me during the break, he said, did you see CNN brought Jeffrey Tubin back? Apparently he's their legal analyst, and he was before, and he got suspended 
for I think it was six or seven months. Uh, he was on a Zoom call with a bunch of coworkers, and <clears throat> it's, it's a family show. It he did some things on the Zoom call that are really best left in private. Apparently, he didn't know the camera was on. I'm going to leave it there. I understand you're listening with your kids. It was really inappropriate, really, really not good at all. He gets let go. He gets brought back. Jewish producer Chris was marveling at him getting brought back, and it made me think of something. Of course, as you may imagine, it made me think of history. You understand what it was like right away under communism, right? Under communism, there were like 5,000 members of the Communist Party, and those guys had all the food, all the stuff. They They took all the money. It took a fortune to fund the wants of the 5,000 members of the Communist Party. The 5,000 members of the Communist Party consumed more resources than all the rest of Moscow combined. Now, how did people eat in the Soviet Union under communism? You were given rations. I mean, you can't buy anything, sell anything. There's famine. There's ter- you were given rations. Now, I'm getting this this ties into Tubin. Bear with me a moment. Now, what kind of rations? How much? I, I, I'm, I'm Joe Schmo, Mr. Communist. How, can I have my rations? I'm hungry. Well, it depends. What does it depend on? How useful are you to the system? What are you providing me? Oh, you're providing me. Necessary transportation so people can go to and fro. Please come here. Take your take your generous sum of rations. Oh, you, Bob, what do you do? Oh, you you sweep the floors? No, Bob, you don't get very much. You see, remember, to a communist, because a communist has no God, communist is his God, communism is his God, to a communist, you are only worth what you contribute to the system. Period. End of story. End of story. That's why That's why you see, uh, you know, black people are a great example. Or gay people. If a black person or a gay person leaves the left and comes out as being a supporter on the right, how are they treated by the left? What, what things have you seen said to them? I know what you see. I, I see it too. So many of these people are my friends. And you should see the, the things they show me in private. About what about the things that so to the black guys? Oh, you're right, Chris. Telling calling them Uncle Toms and just just unspeakable things. Why? Well, he's no longer useful to the to the communist system anymore. Therefore, he's totally scorned. Jeffrey Tubin got his job back, not because he's talented, not because of any other reason, but Jeffrey Tubin is useful to the system. So he got his rations. If Jeffrey Tubin had gotten in trouble and then came out as a conservative, he would have never darkened the doors of CNN again. Jeffrey Tubin did all the right moves, promised the system he'd be a good little boy, and the system welcomed him back because he's still useful to the system. It's not more complicated than that. Back to the Soviets, back to communism. Remember, their advantage is their relentlessness. They never sleep. They never rest. They, they live to dominate and destroy because it's their God. What's their disadvantage? They destroy each other. 
They destroy each other. And our communists are already doing this and will continue to do this too. They can't help it. They're such nasty, aggressive, destructive people. They wreck each other too. Trotsky and Stalin and Lenin, who are all in charge at this point in time, they're all fighting with each other and fighting with this general or that general and this general's army is fighting against that general's army. And I disagree. And we should attack here and we should do this and we should push back. It is a constant infighting problem for the Soviets, which they never got over, ever. Stalin came as close as anyone else, and that's just because he murdered everybody. But the Soviets did start pushing the Poles back, and they're pushing the Poles back, and they're pushing the Poles back. Lithuania, tiny little Lithuania, even jumps in to fight with the Soviets and fight against the Poles, and Poland's all, wait, what? Why? But it turns out Lithuania had lost some territory that from Poland they wanted back and thought they'd get it. Now, what's happening as Russia, as the dirty communists, are pushing through Poland and taking over Polish territory? Well, what have we talked about? They're doing two things. The Soviets are doing two things as they take over parts of Poland. One, they are severely, severely mistreating the Jews and the Christians they find. Communists hate Jews and Christians, remember that. Flat out executing them together in mass. That's one. Two, they're planting seeds of communist groups as they move along. But don't forget about that slaughtering Christians and Jews thing. We're going to come back to that in just a moment as I finish up our story. Now they're closing in on Warsaw. Poland is on its heels. Things are looking dark. Poland has to start a draft. Poland asks Britain and France for help, and they don't get that much. What do I mean? Britain, at this point, they're still trying to figure out how to deal with this new communist country of the Soviet Union. So Britain's trying to open up trade and trade with these dirty commies. France, France is more helpful. France hates the communists, too. France gives, you know, some tanks. Hey, you guys have some tanks and stuff like that. But again, remember from the beginning of our story, we're post-World War I. France is slaughtered. Their young men are dead. They're broke. They can't help more than that. So they send some tanks, and they essentially say, you're on your own. Now, the Soviets do hold up just short of Warsaw, because really by this point in time, they don't have the world's attention yet. And then, once again, they start to argue amongst themselves. Should we stop here? Do we keep going? Well, we all know what communists would do, right? You know exactly what communists would do. They decided to push. They got to Warsaw. But they were too fractured around Warsaw, too divided, two different armies. And the Poles, to their credit, they, even though they, history says they didn't know this, but the Poles decided they were going to go out like lions and they were going to launch a massive attack. They happened to choose by accident. All, all evidence points to it's by accident. They happened to choose the weakest part of the Soviet line to launch their attack. I know to this day, by the way, there are Christians throughout Poland who believe this was ordained by God. And right after it was done, they, they all said it. Like it was just national thought. Oh, God was on our side. It was that kind of thing. 
who masses the perfect counterattack at the one spot the Soviets couldn't do anything about. The Poles go blowing through the Soviet line. The Soviets now have to try to retreat to reform up, but their retreat is a disaster. Why is the retreat a disaster for the Soviets? Why didn't it work? Well, pay attention. This is going to apply to us today. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Our final show in this exact format. We're down for two weeks, building things up. And then June 28th, the brand new mega national show launches. Over 200 stations. It's going to be so fun. I'm going to get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions in just a moment. Let's wrap up our story here. The Polish-Soviet War, the Poles' counterattack. This is called the Battle of Warsaw, by the way, but the the Poles' counterattack outside of Warsaw. They find a crack, blow through it in the Soviet lines, and the Soviets start retreating. Why are the Soviets having such a hard time on their retreat? I mean, they just cannot get it together. Why? Well, remember like 10 minutes ago we were talking about how the communists were treating the Christians and the Jews and the civilian population where they took over. They were supposed to be treating them as liberators, right? But communists can't help being communists, can they? So instead, there was a bunch of people getting shot in the face. That's what communists do. The civilian population, as the Soviet army was coming back through, heading the other direction begin to slaughter Soviet troops. The Polish civilians remembered. And I will say this, and I'm going to wrap up the history story here with this today as we move on to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions and we have a blast and we talk about everything else. I'm just going to say this. The American communists have enjoyed and are really enjoying at this point in time absolutely abusing people on the right. They certainly did it for four years under Trump. Now that Biden's in there, they're putting the whole system against you. You're a domestic terrorist. You're a Nazi white supremacist. You should be fired from your job. You should be this doing all the things communists do. That shoe gets on the other foot one day. Take heart. People will remember. And it will come back. Now, let's move on to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. I had one right off the bat. (laughs) Gosh. Dr. Jesse, how bad do you think the Joe Biden meeting with Putin is going to go? Joe Biden has this meeting upcoming with Vladimir Putin. How bad? I don't know. Joe Biden, as we saw in the debates... For small periods of time, 
Joe Biden can prepare for a meeting. The problem is Vladimir Putin doesn't have to assess Joe Biden during the meeting. He gets to assess that idiot all the time when he's behind the microphone. You just Vladimir Putin has already assessed Joe Biden before they've even sat down. Look, we know how this meeting's going to go. It'll be fairly benign, to be honest with you. Putin will probably take some little jab at him because that's what Putin does. See how Biden reacts. No matter how Biden reacts, the American media is going to stand up and say, Biden, what, what, a, what a monster, what a lion for America. But we all know what's happening here. Vladimir Putin has already assessed America, and he likes what he sees, period. Now, on to one of the great Dr. Jesse questions I've ever gotten. Dr. J. Sombrero Steel Kelly. As someone who is 14,000 times more Native American than Elizabeth Warren, I have recently become very interested in my Cherokee heritage. My 14-year-old daughter and I have been doing some research, and she has also become very interested after a trip to Cherokee, North Carolina, a few years ago. We've been watching some documentaries and doing research on the topic, and I recently listened to an episode of Time Suck with Dan Cummins that covered the Trail of Tears. Not the best look for the country, to say the least. The kiddo and I fully understand the history of the world is, is, is more technologically and economically advanced peoples conquering other peoples. No issue there. However, my daughter and I are having a hard time rec- reconciling this question. How did some of the most patriotic, freedom and liberty-loving beasts of our country, Andrew Jackson, John Calhoun's, reconcile the treatment of natives only a few short decades after the ratification of the U.S. Constitution, specifically freedom of religion and assembly? I know it's complicated, but help a brother out here. One, you have an awesome heritage. As everyone knows, I geek out on Indian tribes. Cherokees are one of my top five. Com- or, uh, Comanches, Sioux, Blackfeet, Cherokees, and probably Apache are probably my top five. So, you, I mean, of all the Indian tribes, yours is one of the coolest, if not the coolest out there. That's really cool you study that with your daughter, by the way. One. Two. Freedom of religion and assembly. Let's deal with that because that's that's where the problem was for the relationship with the Indian tribes and the new Americans. We love the idea of freedom of religion, right? Because it makes us feel nice and makes us sound good. But the truth is simply this. When it came to the Indian tribes, and no matter how you feel about this, when it came to the Indian tribes, there was a religious thing that was going to cause problems no matter what. Let's talk about that. Hang on. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. It is time for your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. We're going to have a blast today. I'm going to chop through as many of these as I can. 
We have the governor, lieutenant governor, I should say, of North Carolina, North Carolina coming up here in about a half hour. If you miss any part of the show, the whole thing will be podcasted on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, leave a five-star rating, leave a review talking about how handsome I am. That doesn't stop just because the show's getting bigger. We need those Jesse is Handsome reviews. What, Chris? Also, I'm going to finish my answer on your Cherokee, the Indians, the, the tension between Andrew Jackson, all those. I'm going to answer that question here in just a second. And someone has to question about the show's format going forward because, you know, I, I'm not going to open with an hour of history. I'm doing a history podcast separate. I'm going to answer all that stuff in just a second. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. Wow. That <laughs> is the Jesse Kelly Show. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Now, back to our answer of our question here. The question was, uh, dad wrote in, uh, dad with a bunch of Cherokee Indian heritage and with a 14-year-old daughter, and they're digging into it together, which, by the way, is the coolest thing in the world. The coolest thing in the world, uh, as you know, it takes me hours and hours and hours to prep for history every single day. My oldest son, not my youngest at all, but my oldest son has turned into a history freak, and he does half of it with me. Whenever it comes to something, I have to if I have to watch a documentary on something, he'll come sit there. Just that time with your kid is awesome. And one, that's number one. Two, the Cherokee Indians were awesome. So that's a really cool heritage. But three, understand this. You can't have you can't have people within your borders who have a totally different religion. You can't have them controlling portions of your land in your country. That's how America was thinking at the time. Call it manifest destiny or whatever you want to call it. The Americans Americans very much at the time thought it was their job not only to conquer the land, which they were going to do anyway because that's what people do. People conquer lands. But they thought it was their job to spread Christ across the land. That meant Indians were going to be on the outs of that because they didn't share that same religion. That's just what it meant. And I will, that's, that's part of it. But I will also say this. Now, as you know, we've done shows on Andrew Jackson. Underrated as far as his historical figures go. Andrew Jackson has some of the coolest historical stories out there, but not exactly the most soft and cuddly human being. However, you should also understand, 
when we talk about the historical bad treatment of the American Indians, yeah, they were treated bad. I, I don't know why people feel the need to sugarcoat that. They're, they were treated bad. There's, yeah, they were. You know, I don't do I don't do America apology or white guilt stuff, but they were treated bad. They got conquered. That's what happens to conquered peoples. But don't think for a second that that was universal across the government or universal across the American military. If you really dig into how the Indians were treated, there were so many army generals and lieutenants and captains who loved them and felt a kinship there and felt that they were being treated unfairly. And, and newspapers across the country would print articles about it. It's not as if 100% of America was, oh, yeah, slaughter the Indians. This was controversial at the time. It's only presented now as oh, a bunch of cold-hearted Americans hanging Indian scalps. That's not true at all. Look, the truth is, I mean, you already said it. I can obviously tell you're a big boy about it, and you're a big boy about it when you deal with your daughter about it. But the truth is... Cool as I think the Indian tribes were, they were not strong enough to stop what was inevitable. People get conquered. And look, here's a, here's a, here's a bitter, sobering part on what's supposed to be a fun Dr. Jesse Friday. Here's, here's something for you. It'll happen to us one day. It's not going to be tomorrow. I'm not one of those people. Oh, China's coming in. That's ridiculous. But look, it may be a thousand years from now. But it's going to happen to us one day. We're going to get insular. We're going to stop advancing. We're going to stop placing a priority on our economy, on our technology, on our science, on things like And I don't mean today's science. I mean actual real science and things like that. And we're going to think we're doing just fine. And, and we're get, what, what's going to happen is, and this is what happened with most of the tribal peoples, with most of the countries around the world who got conquered, they liked their way of life. And didn't feel like they should have to change. I don't have to change. You do. You do. Look, I don't like the Air Force. We still need one. I'll quit. It's, we, <laughs> seriously. All right. Dear Jesse, will, will, will your new history podcast be like Dan Carlin's hardcore history with really long episodes posted every so often? Or will it be a shorter daily episode? Either way, I can't wait. The answer to both those questions is no. Let me explain this new format of the new show. I will not be opening the new show on the 28th with an hour-long history segment. I just won't do it anymore. Uh, believe it or not, someone said, oh, they're making you do that. This was actually my request. I, I've expressed it before, and I'll say this again. I feel like I'm cheating you, and I feel like I tr uh, I'm cheating the people of these stories when I'm trying to get through a long history story, and I have to stop and take a commercial break and stop and tease a guest and stop and give out the phone number and stop. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Here's the, what the new format is going to be for the show every day. First hour will be the, head, the, the, the big headlines and stuff like that, and that'll be most of the show. The second hour, we're bringing history. Now, that may be a segment or two. It won't be an hour of it. But there's going to still be history in every single show if that's what you're looking for. But that'll be a smaller version than what you get now. But there's a separate part of this. I'm not doing the Dan Carlin thing. And Dan Carlin's the best. I love Dan Carlin. But I'm not doing the Dan Carlin thing of a show every six months that's four hours long. 
and I'm also not doing a daily podcast. My thinking now, and this could always change because I have a, a, a bit of a different workload coming. My thinking now is I'm going to do a once-a-week history podcast that's separate from the show. That's my thinking. How long is that going to be? I don't know. I mean, I'm just being very frank with you. I don't know. I would love to tell you right now it's going to be one hour. But what happens now is, now this may be because of the teases and the breaks and things like that, I'll be way into a history story and I'll start looking up at the clock and saying to myself, oh gosh, I have to wrap this up. I have so many other parts of this story I want to get into and I want to talk about this cool thing and that cool thing. I have to wrap this up. I have no idea how long the podcast is going to be once a week. That's the beauty of it. I don't have to know. I can sit down and talk until I feel the story has been told. I am extremely excited about it. And I want to reinforce again, this was not anyone else's call but mine. It's what I wanted. For a while, it's been on my mind, and, and I'm thrilled about it. I'm thrilled about it. Dear Shogun, I listened to the big announcement, and we are all pumped for you. But I listened to today's show, too. You didn't just say the history story would only be once a week now. Don't think you can just slip that past us like it's normal. We are entitled to your epic tales on a daily basis. <laughs> we see you. JPC, tell him what's up. No, really, I'm pumped for the new show. Congratulations again. All right, and you know the last thing I would ever want to do would be to give you any credit where I like to just prefer to take all the credit for myself. But these emails I've had since this announcement – I will tell you, you know, all your emails, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, they all go right to Jewish producer Chris. We have been, we've been just been floored. I mean, we've been floored by this. A, a couple people, you know, a couple concerns about this or that don't sell out or don't do this. Or that, but 99.99% of these have been just congratulations. I'm not surprised. You're the best. It has been, it's been nice. Email. El Generalissimo Jesse. Do you think some men like the, like Napoleon, Julius Caesar, or George Washington are destined by fate to be great? I don't mean by circumstance. I mean some kind of supernatural or godly force. And is there anyone like this among us today besides you? Thank you for everything you do, you handsome devil. Here's what I believe. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Chris, play that audio. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, North Carolina. He's coming up in 10 minutes from now. Remember Trump went out, he spoke in North Carolina, and then this guy steps up and steals the show? During 9-11, 
people running away from those burning buildings, running away in horror. We saw policemen and firemen running to those buildings, basically running to their deaths to go help others because they saw trouble and they knew that they were needed. That's got to be us in this day right here. We've got to run to the trouble, folks. And what is the trouble? The trouble is the Biden administration that is seeking to turn this country into a socialist hellhole. The trouble is Antifa that wants to roam the streets and beat you into submission. The trouble is Black Lives Matter. It claims to care about the lives of black people, but it's turned a blind eye while violence in black communities are taking lives at a genocidal rate. They've turned a blind eye. That's where the trouble is, and that's what we've got to run to. And we've got all the right in the world on our side. And there ain't no reason to be afraid. And there ain't no reason to not take the challenge dead on. Because I'm going to tell you who we come from, folks. We don't come from some weak, jellyback, spineless people. That's not who we come from. None of us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what nation your folks hail from, how much money you got. We all share the same name. We are Americans. And on 9-11, there was Americans who ran towards those burning buildings. That is who you share your heritage with. You do not share your heritage with a weak and ineffective people who cower at the side of trouble. You share your heritage with a strong and brave people who are determined to hold on to their freedom and for the freedom of future generations. Thank God, I know that's a little long, but I couldn't stop playing it. <laughs> He's coming up here in about nine minutes. Back to our back to our Ask Dr. Jesse question. The question was, you know, Napoleon, Caesar, Washington, do I think they were destined to be great? He says, I don't mean by circumstance, I mean by some kind of supernatural or godly force. And there, is there anyone like that among us today? Thank you for everything you do. Here's what I believe. I believe everyone is created by God. I believe everyone is created by God for a specific purpose. And I believe most of us will miss it, myself included. I I think there are always, at any given moment, like I I don't look at the history of the world and say this period had more bad men than this period or this period had more good men than this period. I simply look at like history today, the world today, I should say. I think there are just as many monsters in this world today as there have always been. There's an Adolf Hitler out there today. There's a Joseph Stalin out there today. Are they going to have the the access to power? I don't know. I certainly hope not. Jewish producer Chris and I have talked about this several times on the show on the air before. ISIS? Um. Go look at the things ISIS did and the things ISIS believed. ISIS was every bit as evil as Nazi Germany. Every bit. The world won't even remember ISIS. Why? Because they didn't have the resources and the power to make it come to fruition the way Hitler and Nazi Germany did. It's just a matter of access. Destiny, or whatever you want to call it, didn't happen to meet them in their evil goals. I believe the same thing about, about men who are supposed to be great, men who are, who, are, who are destined to be great. Many of them, this is just a belief of mine, many of them won't ever achieve it. They'll find a way to screw it up. I mean, look, I'm a walking, talking example of that. I don't know that I was destined for greatness, but 
I mean, how many more things can I possibly screw up? How many more ways could I possibly screw up? By all my fault, by the way. No, no, no fingers pointing. I've had so many points of time in my life where I've, I've been drinking too much. Ruined something. I make a dumb decision because of this or a dumb decision because of that. Or, or maybe I have bad impulse control. I mean, I've made so many mistakes. I have no doubt I'm already not achieving the things I could. But there are men who happen to just accomplish it anyway. Guys like Napoleon. When you, when you read about Napoleon, Napoleon from the age of like 15, Napoleon just had a purpose. He just wanted to sit down and read. That's all we wanted to do was read and consume knowledge and advance it. That guy, that guy was destined for greatness and he achieved it. I, look, I, like I said, we're all created for something. We're all created to do something good, maybe something great, depending on how you view great or good. Most of us will miss it. I certainly will. Wish I didn't, but I'm going to do. Hey there, Dr. J.K. Howling. Chris, what's that mean? Who's J.K. Howling? Did we miss something? Chris, look this up. All right. I have a question you are uniquely qualified to answer. My brother and I have been planning to rent or buy an RV and explore some of the U.S. before it collapses into Marxism. We have one big problem. My brother is a pituitary mutant like you. You know what? That's not very nice. He's 6'8 and around 270 during barbecue season. That's a big boy right there. I'm 6'8, 230. I know you sold RVs, and I bet you unconsciously tilt your head going through doorways. By the way, I 100% do. Everybody comments about it. Whenever I go through a doorway, I take my head to the side, and I've done it so long, I just don't realize it anymore because most of the time I will hit my head on a doorframe if I don't. Anyway, I'm sure you've guessed the question by now. RVs just aren't built for the hairless Sasquatch tribe. So what's a good alternative for a really big dude who wants to see the country in comfort? Keep on keeping on. Says his name is Paul and says I can use it. Okay, J.K. Rowling did the Harry Potter books, apparently. I think we should have probably known that, Chris. We really need to get educated before this new show launches. Anyway, here's, here's a good news, bad news situation for your huge brother. As somebody who's been quite tall for quite some time, First of all, the traditional means of traveling in comfort are simply unavailable for him. All means of traveling in comfort. Like like I said, as you know, I didn't exactly grow up with a lot of money, to put it mildly. We had to travel by bus from time to time. Try being 6'4", 6'5", on a bus. It's brutal. You're on a school bus. You don't fit. Your pants don't fit. A regular airline seat doesn't fit. I have to. Tr- I have to. I have to budget in, either an emergency exit row seat, or if I can't get that, I have to pay to upgrade to first class almost every time I fly now. Not because I care about uh, uh, you know free cocktail and warm nuts. I don't fit in a regular seat. I don't fit in it. So I, life is uncomfortable. And it's expensive when you're extremely tall. Now, I'm not complaining about it. That's how God made me. Look, chicks dig it. But it's uncomfortable. The traditional means of traveling in comfort are not available for your brother, RV included. They're just not. They're simply not. There is, however, a solution. You can rent these. I don't know where to rent them or I would tell you right now. 
They have these things called sprinter vans out there. Sprinter vans. Chris knows what it is. You even if look if Chris knows, then everyone knows what a sprinter van is. You can get them outfitted several different ways. That they're they're very very customizable. I am a hundred percent sure you will be able to find a rental, not a buy, a rent. Because I think Chris, I think they're like a hundred thousand dollars. They're even more than that. They're more, right? Yeah. Well, either way, they're a lot of money. Go rent a Sprinter van for you and your brother. You'll have plenty of room for luggage. And look, I don't know what your financial situation is. If I had a lot more money, I would do that kind of thing and hire a driver. And you and and your brother can sit back, play board games, have a beer, make yourself a sandwich, and enjoy yourself. That's the way to travel in comfort. Honestly, it's a Sprinter van in hotel rooms, buddy. 6-8 is what it is. Life ain't built for you. Get over it. All right, Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, coming up. Hang on. Your Jesse Kelly show 877-377-4373 Jesse at jessekellyshow.com by popular demand ever since we played that soundbite of him blowing the roof off the place everybody wants the guy on the show it's our it's my honor to introduce Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of the great state of North Carolina Governor uh, what kind of reaction have you gotten I can only imagine your phone has been melting it, it has. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic, but uh, if I said it's not something that I'm kind of used to, I'd be not be really telling the truth. It's it's almost uh, it's kind of reminiscent from uh, back in 2018 when we gave the speech at the Greensboro City Council, and that that speech went viral. It's uh, it's kind of harkens back to that almost. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by the reaction, though, because I. Uh, from what I what I have seen, I think I'm saying things that I've already said before, but I think I kind of may, I maybe delivered them in a in a different sort of way. I guess I don't know. Well, you delivered them in a different sort of way because I've heard a thousand political speeches and I fall asleep two minutes into all of them. I was about ready to come out of my chair listening to yours. So it, it look delivery matters, but I think yeah, it's probably things you've been saying your whole life. But more than anything else, I think what we have and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong is a GOP in this country that is hungry for guts. They're hungry for bold. They're hungry for guts. And so when they see it now, well, they're hungrier for that than they've ever been. It's going to be more appealing now. That style is going to be more appealing than it's ever been before. That's true. It's uh, I, You know, I liken America to a, a, a fine-tuned automobile, a, a Corvette or, a, you know, some uh, fine-tuned sports car. And what's happened here over the last, uh, actually, a couple of decades in this country. This country has been fed a steady diet of, of poor fuel. And, and and the people of this country are crying out for good fuel. And when they get good fuel and they get that good energy, uh, it revs them up because, as I said in that speech, you know, we're not a, a nation of people who are weak, ineffective people. That's not the stock that we come from. We come from people who are, are ready to stand up and fight for our freedoms and proclaim the truth. And uh, we haven't had a big dose of that. 
You know, the biggest dose of that we've had was the, the four years that we've had uh, under President Trump. And that, we haven't had anything like that since President Reagan. So this country is hungry to get back to what America does, which is stand up for truth and justice and and um, and, and that for our Constitution and all the great things that go with it. Who's been feeding the bad fuel? Is it is it did, did we get too weak and soft on the right? Is it purely the left? Is it the media? Is it the Democratic Party? Is it all of them? Because you're right. It's just been a steady diet of anti-Americanism poured into generations now. Who's been doing it? I think it's a combination of all that. You know, the folks, the, the good, hardworking people of the United States of America, North Carolina, We've been so consumed with making a living and, and taking care of our families and, you know, doing what's right in our own households that we've expected our elected officials to do the same thing when they go to Raleigh or when they go to Washington, D.C., or when they're down at this, the school board or when they're down on the county commissioners. But all too often what's happened, they have not done that. What's happened is we, we have people who run for office, say one thing, get in office, do another, and they basically – kind of turn their backs on the American people. It's time for the American people to take control of those offices again because we, the American citizenry, is supposed to be in charge. And the representatives are supposed to do that just that, represent the American people. We've got to make sure that these politicians are doing our bidding and not their own. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a little bit of all of what you said. How do we evolve uh, on the right into being more like what you just said? Because I echo that all the time on the show of how I'm a very live and let live person. I want to go to work and I want to go home, hang out with my family. I, I, I just want to I want to be me. You do you. But that that way of thinking has allowed them to take over all the cultural institutions while we've been minding our own business. How do we maintain being that type of person while also running for school board? What we have to do is we understand that when we say we're minding our own business, part of our business is the business of making sure that our government is doing its job. You know, when they say government of the people, by the people, for the people, that means we the people, uh, you know. So we the people have to do due diligence in the political arena because we are the paramount piece of the political arena. So we have to make sure that we know who we're voting for, why we're voting for them, and then we have to hold them accountable. And uh, we have to know about the issues and be up on the issues because those are the things that are going to determine whether or not we can enjoy that time with our family. We are going to be able to have those good homes. We are going to be able to have those good schools. So we got to do start doing our due diligence politically. Knowing Texas barbecue is out there, what's your defense of North Carolina barbecue? Oh, my defense of North Carolina. I don't have to defend North Carolina barbecue, which just happens to be the greatest barbecue in the world. I don't have to defend that. Come on. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Texas barbecue. But, you know, that's a, we eat that when we're out there. We can't get a hold of North Carolina barbecue. Oh, that, that is that is hurtful, Governor. All right. It, it, North Carolina and also is this, North Carolina is a swing state. Nobody wants to lose North Carolina, yeah. right? Especially not on the right. And the left doesn't want to lose it either. What direction yeah. is it going? Who is it, Who are you importing? Who are you exporting as we speak? Um, North Carolina uh, on firm footing. We have, since 2010, what the uh, conservatives have done in this state has been amazing. We have turned this state around on every metric. We have some wonderful legislators. Uh, in this uh, state that have managed to bring this state out of the doldrums and set it on course to be, uh, the, 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 I already believe it's the best state in the union, but, but to make it even greater. 
So uh, politically, we are in a very good spot. Uh, we're going to fight hard to make sure that we get our super majorities back in our House and our, our Senate so that we can override uh, 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 Governor Cooper, who is a, a left-wing Democrat. He vetoes, tries to veto every piece of good legislation we send him. But I believe we're going to get our super majorities back here in North Carolina in 2022. We're going to be able to override him and make him ineffective. And we're going to continue to make North Carolina great under conservative principles. What's the relationship like between a left-wing loon like him and then somebody like you? Surely because he's governor and you're lieutenant governor, surely you two have to end up at the same stuffy dinners where you eat bad chicken in front of some dignitaries or something, right? Yeah, we're cordial to one another. Um, you know, we're polite. Uh, but there is no relationship there. There is no relationship between the governor and I, which I, I, I think that's very sad. I'm willing to work with the governor on anything that uh, he would be willing to work with me on. But as of yet, he has not reached out with, to me to work on any projects. And uh, But I'm here whenever he gets ready. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, big fans on this show. Please come back and join us soon, sir. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Dear handsome Christian Jesse and Jewish producer Chris, since puts in parentheses, thanks for having such a religiously diverse show. I come from a blue-collar family, but I've always been academically inclined, so I went to college and now I'm in dental school. I work landscaping jobs over the summer, which kept me grounded, but I see a lot of people graduating with worthless liberal arts degrees who can't find a job, yet they still look down on the working man. My question is, what careers are worth braving college campuses for? You're seeing a couple different things there. One, tension between the less educated working man, which, as everyone knows, that's my background, and the more highly educated people, that's, that's not an American thing. That's the history of the world. Shoot, Poland. We opened up our show today talking about the Polish-Soviet the Polish war. That was what Poland was going through. The, the un, more uneducated rural peasants had real tension with the higher educated urban elites of, of Polish society at the time. So that's, that's not a new tension. That's not a new tension. The problem becomes this. The people who gather degrees, like you're doing right now, who haven't done landscaping like you're doing right now, they get themselves caught in a trap. You know what that trap is? I will explain to you in just a sec. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. It is time. Do you know who my first guest is going to be on June 28th of the new mega show when it launches? Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson's going to be the first guest on the show. I was wondering, I'm like, who should it be? Got to be somebody big, right? And I thought, oh. I just text Tucker, and I texted him, and he writes me right back. He's like, sure, I'll see you there. (laughs) 6.30 p.m. Eastern time 
on the launch of the brand new mega show, I'll be interviewing Tucker Carlson. And if you think we're not going to dig into his go-to gas station snack, you've got another thing coming. And the thing is, every single person hearing the sound of my voice right now knows I'm dead serious. Back to the question. The trap people on campus fall into, the trap uh, the highly educated fall into, is this. Well, it's the same trap all of us fall into. You start to believe your own press. You know what I mean? You start to believe your own press. What does that mean? Well, you're driving to work, air-conditioned vehicle, caught in traffic, find yourself stopped, and you look to your left, and you see a dude sweating to death, paving the highway. Dude out there shoveling his hand, dirty, sweaty, paving the highway. You look at him and say to yourself, that must suck. It's too bad he didn't rise to the level I'm at now. That's a trap. That's a trap. Yes, there's a chance that guy actually is too stupid to do what you're doing. And there's a chance that guy just prefers to work with his hands. And I'll tell you something else. There's a chance that guy, he makes more money than you. I will tell you this. Now, I was just, I was, I was only, I was always the low man on the totem pole in construction. I mean, I eventually ended up being a, a project manager towards the end, but my, my father always wanted me to have the worst jobs you could possibly imagine. It's just that, that's how I was raised. I, whatever the dirtiest, most horrible, brutal job on the construction site was, that's what he wanted me to do. So that's what I did. But there were still, I mean, there were superintendents uh, at, at these big construction companies, superintendents, quarter million dollars a year, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. Be careful how you look down on the, quote, uneducated. Anyway, the question was actually, are there any careers worth braving the college campus for? Like I've said, I will never send my kids onto a college campus unless they know specifically what they want to do and they have to go to college to do it. That's the only way I will ever send them to college. You don't get to go to college. This is not what it used to be. It's not the 1980s. You don't get to go find yourself and, oh, enjoy your fraternity. No. These are dangerous communist training centers. Be very, very careful before you send your young children off to them. 18 years old, your kids are still very, very impressionable. You may not like what you get back. Dr. The Shogun Jesse, curious on your thoughts regarding playtime for toddlers. What I've been doing with mine is having her outside. Uh, she says I'm obviously there too, but giving her minimal toys, no music, just letting her figure out how to play and relieve her boredom. This seems to have improved her creatively, but since you are the all-knowing oracle, I wanted to ask your thoughts. Thanks. You're 100% right, and if I had to say it, I've screwed up at any point in time as a parent. I mean, look, I've screwed up a lot. One of my big ones, I think, is probably too many toys for the kids. Now, let me clarify. We don't hardly ever buy them toys. 
We just don't do it. In fact, I get off on saying no whenever my kids ask for something in the grocery store line or something like that. Can I have a candy bar? No. Can I have this toy? No. I think it's hel- not because not because I enjoy lording that power over them. Half the time I want to eat the candy bar myself. I think it's healthy for kids to hear no. But my kids have two sets of grandparents who love them very much. And come Christmas time, no matter what my requests are, said grandparents, instead of getting one toy, will get them 90. Well, this, this, I mean, 90 is obviously an exaggeration. Call it 15, but 15 every Christmas? These things start adding up and adding up and adding up, and things get more expensive as they get older. And soon, I walk in my son's room, my son's room together. I walk in their room, and it's a freaking paradise of things to do. There's Legos and blocks and, and, and toy guns here, and they've got video games here. And the, Now, granted, we monitor all that, especially the video game stuff very closely. You don't just get to play that whenever you want, but it's a paradise. And like you just pointed out, it does affect their creativity. So oftentimes, I agree with what you do as far as reducing all that. Oftentimes, we, we, we regulate their time. We will make them stop everything except reading. You are allowed to go outside and play, or you are allowed to read. There's no in-between. What does go outside and play mean? Well, there's the yard. Figure it out. Figure out something to do. Figure out, like you said, how to be bored. It's very healthy for a kid. It's unhealthy for anybody to get what they want when they want it at all times. It's time to talk about cheeseburgers. Hang on. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. You know, we try to keep it light on a Friday. We always try to keep it light on a Friday because isn't the week heavy enough? I mean, we have Black Lives Matter stuff, critical race theory, Joe Biden's blowing it, the G7s today, which it's been enough misery So on Friday, we try to keep it light. But sometimes, sometimes a a hard issue comes across my desk that I can't ignore. I mean, sometimes I don't care whether it's Friday, Saturday night at midnight. I don't care what it is. Sometimes, look, you have a duty. You and I have a duty to tackle the tough issues. So when I got this email, I knew. It was something I had to address. Let's talk about cheeseburgers next.
Jesse Kelly returns next. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. It is The Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I understand we've been together a while. I understand you're excited about moving to the new spot and everything else. That it creates a relationship between you and me, right? Creates a relationship. That's why I'm so into the emails. Like I've told you, all your emails go right to Jewish producer Chris. I read them all. I, I don't respond. I will never respond. I get way too many. I read them all. So it's, look, there's a relationship there. That said, I think you're going to be upset with me because I have some hard things to tell you right now. Even with the person who wrote the email, this is going to hurt. So gird your loins. Jesse, Lord Sombrero. Dr. J.K. Steele, King of the Matrix. Recently, I've seen some questionable and frankly disturbing TV commercials, yada, yada, yada. In these commercials, I've noticed some very questionable and unsavory stacking order of the burgers. And I wanted to get your take on the correct order. In the commercials, I see things like onions, tomatoes, even lettuce underneath the burger patty. This is insanity. A communist plot to undermine the consumption of hamburgers by making them disgusting. In my opinion, the burger patty belongs directly on the bottom bun. Period. No exceptions. Any other ingredient, ketchup, mustard, pickles, tomatoes, lettuce, cheese, goes on top of the patty or under the top bun. What is your opinion on these matters? Based on these commercials... I'm concerned some of your listeners are being negatively influenced by advertising and not optimally stacking their burgers. Though I submitted this question for Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, this is probably those things you don't want to wait until Friday to cover. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me get something out of the way right now. Keep your trash, lettuce, and tomato off of a cheeseburger. This is not a salad. You are welcome to get a salad separately with your burger. There is no reason to assault a cheeseburger with lettuce and tomato in it. A cheeseburger is about the meat, the cheese, and the bun. Let's get that out of the way right away. My cheeseburgers, as you know, I've given out my world-famous cheeseburger recipes several times. And in case you don't get in case you haven't seen it, you can follow me on social media at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter and Instagram. I'm also on Facebook and Locals, but on Instagram, I actually have, you have to scroll down a little bit, a video, a multi-part video up there of me explaining my world-famous burger recipe. But as I've explained before, when I make my world-famous cheeseburgers, I don't put anything on them. No ketchup, no mustard, no mayo, no no onions, no nothing. All it's, it's burger patty and cheese and bun. Why? Because if you do those three things right, and quit shaking your head, Chris, you people aren't even allowed to eat cheeseburgers. Anyways, if you do those things right, you don't even need anything else. But let's say you want something else, and that's fine. I've had people assault my burger with ketchup and stuff like that before. That's fine. Lettuce and tomato has no place on a cheeseburger at all. It is a meaty, cheesy, 
melty bunch of deliciousness. Why do I want watery lettuce or disgusting tomatoes to ruin this? Your lettuce and tomato doesn't go on the bottom. It doesn't go on the top because it doesn't go on there at all. And it's amazing to me how this has just become common in this society. What rotten filth our culture has become that we've allowed lettuce and tomato to just ingrain itself in our minds like this. So don't ever bring lettuce and tomato to my burger ever. Now, let's set those aside. Let's deal with the other toppings that are reasonable to put on a burger. Onions. That's perfectly reasonable to want onions on a burger. Onions are wonderful. Or, depending on how Texan you are, grilled jalapenos. Oh, some grilled jalapenos are good on a burger. Oh, by the way, in case you've never tried it, grilled jalapenos on a pizza, phenomenal. Absolutely. Next time you get a pepperoni pizza, get jalapenos on there. Don't let it intimidate you, and they're easy to take off if you don't like it. They're not even that hot. Try it. It just gives a little bit of mmm. Anyway, I do my own sound effects, Chris. That's why we got a bigger show. I mean, it's my sound effects. Anyway, setting that aside, when it comes to onions and jalapenos and whatnot, while I agree with you, I want the burger patty on the bottom bun, I will simply say this. That's not the critical part. The critical part is this, and it drives me nuts how people don't understand this. The critical part is each and every bite I take, I get the exact same amount of burger to cheese to bun to jalapeno. I don't want one bite where I have 90 jalapenos and then the next bite where I have none. An even spread of the condiments on the burger on any sandwich is absolutely critical. I've actually had to correct, albeit very politely because I understand these are hardworking people, I've had to correct people at the various sandwich-making places, you know, where they make the sandwich in front of you when you're like, add this and add that and give me mayo and this and that. And I'll add things like extra cheese because I'm an American. And they'll take the extra cheese and pile it right on top of the other cheese they just had on there. Virtually guaranteeing I will have some bites where I'm being choked to death with cheese and some bites where I don't get any cheese at all. You see this mistake restaurants make with nachos all the time, and I'm trying not to get upset, but I'm starting to get upset now because these restaurant nachos have been so... You know, we throw around the word injustice a lot, but that's what's been... What, Chris? That's what's been done with restaurant nachos. What happens is... You order nachos in the restaurant. That's what you're ordering. That's what you're looking forward to. That's not what the cook hears. When that order gets back to the cook, you know what the cook thinks? Oh, nice. Throwaway meal that doesn't take any effort. Let me grab a pile of chips. Plink. Plop them on the plate. Let me just grab all the ingredients that go on these nachos and just glob it all in the center of the whole thing. So I have four chips with all the cheese and meat and refried beans and jalapenos and whatever, and I have nine million chips that are dry as a bone with nothing on it. So then me, the consumer, I'm left with distributing said, said uh, toppings to every chip. Let me be very clear to you. Nachos are not a throwaway and shouldn't be treated as such. I am sorry for getting so upset on the air today, but these big issues, they require passion, Chris. You see Greg, uh, Governor Greg Abbott says Texas is going to build its own border wall. 
One, I hope that's true. Two, sounds like a man running for president to me. Sounds like a man running for president to me. I mean, I hope that's true. Logistically, that can get really hard to pull off. I mean, yeah, maybe you can pull that off on state land. A lot of that land down there on the border is private land. I mean, look, nobody wants a bigger border wall than me, but that gets difficult, right? What if what if that guy doesn't want you to build a wall on his land? And if it's federal land, you can just write that out because the feds are never going to let you do that at all. Also, Florida Board of Education officially bans critical race theory from the state classrooms. One, this is a good thing. Two, this is not near enough. You must play offense. Now you take over those school boards and don't try to take politics out of it. Put your values into it. So your values are what's being taught. That's how you play offense. And three, and I mean this, do you think, how many times have you and I talked about communists and how they think and how they move and and, and just how they work? Do you think they're going to stop? Hang on, I'll explain. Austin Governor Murphy, it's never going to get old. If you think we're not bringing that to the new show, you got another thing coming. 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Dear Premier Jesse Steele syndicated Kelly Chris, will the new radio show be podcasted like the current one? And what did your parents think of the news? One, yeah, the show, if anything, will be even easier to get a hold of now, it's still going to be podcasted all over iHeart and iTunes and Spotify and Google and everywhere else. You're not going to have a hard time getting more me. That's a great what, Chris? I'm sorry. It's a great day for America. That's one. Two. Well, one, mom was, my mom's one of those people. She's a mom. She's just like your mom. My mom thinks that you can do anything. And be anything. I mean, my mom still thinks I'm going to be president of the United States of America. She's always thought that. She just, she's one of the, she's a mom. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer's mom thought he was just misunderstood. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he ate a couple bad meals. All right. But, but that, that's how moms think. My dad 
My dad, as you can imagine, is much more uh, direct. <laughs> Probably would be a right. He's much more direct. My dad, honestly, he was pretty stinking cool about it. He was. He was. It's rare that my dad shows that kind of man. I'm proud of you, kind of things. But you could tell he. You could tell it hit him. My old man was all man. That's that's amazing. Good job. <laughs> and so from my dad, that's basically the best compliment in the history of the world. MC Jalapeno, aka Jesse Kelly. The Japanese had predicted that America's reaction to an attack on Pearl Harbor would be soft and weak because they thought Americans were lovers of pleasure and not up for a fight. Seeing how our weak country is becoming with kids being raised as indoor cats and our military caring more about political correctness instead of being overwhelmingly deadly, do you think that if another surprise attack happened today that America would rise up like they did after Pearl Harbor and ruthlessly destroy the enemy? Says I can say his first name on the air. His name's Jeremy. Or Jeremy. No, we would not. No, we would not. Uh, let's be clear about something. If we were attacked like that, yes, there would be recruiting lines again around the block of Americans because there are still so many hardcore patriotic young men out there who are more than willing to go fight and die for this country. However, unlike after Pearl Harbor, because we have so much anti-Americanism now, not un-American, anti-Americanism, you would the next day, the next day, have stories being run on our major media networks in defense of whoever just attacked us. Almost immediately, the American media would rally on behalf of who attacked us because, let's be honest, we don't have a country full of patriots anymore. Like I've said, it's the one ingredient we're missing that's killing us. If you have a country full of people who hate the country, why would they care if we got attacked? I said this repeatedly, and it made people so mad, and it made people uncomfortable, but I'll say it again. Now, when I used to say it, I said it about Barack Obama, but it applies really to all the leadership of the left today. Let's focus on Obama for the time being. If you were to sit Barack Obama down and force him, you must drop a nuclear weapon on a city. Any city in the world, you must drop a nuclear weapon on it and wipe it out. What I used to say was, how sure are you that Barack Obama, if he was forced to do that, would pick a city outside of the borders of America? And look, if he did, you might want to take cover in Jerusalem because we all know where that bomb would be going. It's just the truth. This is the problem with raising a nation, with educating a nation in America hatred. When the, when the blank hits the fan, as the saying goes, and you need a nation of patriots, and you can only field half as many as you fielded before, you're going to lose. That's why I've warned about this repeatedly. Anything, anything we do that doesn't involve massive wholesale changes to the anti-American education system in this country, anything else is a total waste of time. Because until that gets fixed, we're still churning out 4 million new college graduates every single year that think this country sucks. You cannot sustain yourself as a nation that way. You simply cannot. Dear J. Steele Kelly, 
soon-to-be Sultan of the evening airwaves. Congrats on your big news. You swung for the fences and hit a grand slam. I'm sure you have many accolades coming in the future. It has me thinking. If you had to choose to be honored with either the Presidential Medal of Freedom or having your favorite meal at Red Lobster named after you, which would you choose? Also, with your show moving back to the evening, I hope you bring back asking guests and callers what they're having for dinner. Listening to you judge people's dinner choices or lack of dinner plans was one of the funniest things I've ever heard on the radio. Again, congrats. It's amazing that a man who drives a truck with a sunroof can accomplish. (laughs) One, more good news about the show moving and this big new deal. Yes, the dinner questions are back, baby. Also, and only my old, old, old listeners will remember this. This is from when we were just on KPRC here in Houston. Music. You don't realize it now because you just have this standard, you know, basic radio music. Music was a huge part of our show back then. We play music, not just coming in or out. We play music in the middle of the segment. There was one segment. I did it just to screw off. I'm never going to be able to do this again. I'd be fired the next day. One segment, we took a nine-minute segment and just played Freebird the whole time. Like, that was the whole segment. Music is absurdly important to me. I think it's, I think it makes the show better. It makes it a better experience for you. And it's just fun, right? It puts us all in a good mood. Real music's coming back. On the 28th, you're going to hear real music. And yeah, the dinner questions are coming back too. I'm, I'm so excited. As to the Medal of Freedom or favorite meal at Red Lobster, which would I pick? I mean, what do I really get out of a Medal of Freedom? Not that I'm discounting it. I, not that I'm discounting it, but... How many people get a Medal of Freedom every year? Chris, how many? It's got to be like 50, right? It seems like it's a lot of them. And it's not like I'd reject it if President Ron DeSantis wants to give me a Medal of Freedom. It's not like I'd reject it. I'd be honored. It'd be cool. Having a meal named after you at Red Lobster is for life. That's for life, Chris. Shut up. That's cool. You guys are crazy. What your problem is. It's like I'm the only white trash person out there. Dear J Money Magnum, I have a good buddy who, like myself, is an evangelical Protestant. He recently found himself a dime. However, she's a devout Catholic. It hasn't taken them long to run into some challenges in regard to their own perspective, face, and beliefs. They are both very conservative and have quite similar viewpoints on a number of the big issues. With all this said, do you think a Protestant marrying a Catholic is acceptable? I tend to think no. However, considering the sad state of marriage rates and childbirth in this nation, and considering your constant advice for us conservatives to start getting busy raising families, I'm inclined to think that it may be the lesser of two evils for them to wind up getting married. He said I can use his name. His name is Alex. P.S. You should ask Jewish producer Chris if he would ever marry a Protestant. Oh, it's funny you should bring that up. You know what, Chris? We'll save that for another time. I'll give you my Catholics and Protestants living together. Take in a second. Hang on.
It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Should a Protestant marry a Catholic? That was the question. I'm not going to chicken out, because you know I'll talk about all the uncomfortable stuff, especially when it comes to religion. So if this sounds like I'm chickening out, I'm not. I just don't see what the big deal is. Now, I understand. I clearly don't understand all of it. Well, I understand that I don't understand. Well, I do. I understand that I don't understand all of it because Catholics and Protestants have been murdering each other for a long time. So clearly there's a big rift there in some way. I just don't get it. I would have no problem marrying a Catholic Catholic, as long as she was hot. What, Chris? In all seriousness, I don't. I don't see why they shouldn't get married. I mean, they both believe in Jesus. It's not like a, a, a Hindu is marrying a Muslim or something like that. The Catholic and Protestant thing, I understand there are real, real divisions there. I'm not discounting that. And I understand people have died for them. I just don't, I don't see it as being that big of a deal. Go get married. Make babies. Outbreed the dirty communists. Let's take the country back. Go get married. Dear Steel Oracle Kelly. I work in the U.S. government finance department of defense, and I've done so for 10 years. Like you, I'm a very humble, I am very humble, but no, I'm a paper-pushing stud due to my skills in according promotions, high execution level, and unbelievably handsome face. He says, of course, you beat me in this category and all other mortal men. Now the serious stuff. The amount of waste and outright fraud in some cases I've witnessed has led me Uh, to my below take on the current situation. He says our war is a two-front war, the cultural front. We have to fight our American liberty-based values from the bottom up, so on and so forth. He says part two, the corruption front. Lobbyists, special interest groups, and in general oligarchs have hijacked our republic along with the communists. Big money and all their special interests, so on and so forth. Here's the truth. And this is the truth. Any system, any system that gets big enough, any system that gets big enough will eventually become corrupted. Why? Well, government, What the reason governments go, get so corrupt is because government is so rich. I mean, think of government, no matter what government it is, even in poor countries, it's like a gigantic bank. And whenever you have that much money, what's going to happen is you're going to have people who look at that gigantic pot of gold and say to themselves, how do I get some of that? I want some of that gold. How do I get that pot of gold? How do I reach in that pot of gold and get some out for myself? When America became wealthy, that was good. It was not bad. It was good. But it did doom us to a lot of what we're seeing now. The American pie, the American pot of gold is so big. The amount of people our government makes absurdly wealthy with your and my tax dollars, it's it's shocking. Shocking. Governments around the world just get $100 billion checks stroked to them from our government. Oh, here's $50 million for you. Here's a billion for you. Like, it's nothing. 
And a lot of this money goes right into the pockets of oligarchs. A lot of this uh, uh, money gets lined, it lines the pockets of defense contractors and other various lobbyists. I don't know. I don't know that this corruption problem can be fixed. I say that because I've never seen it fixed. In the history of the world, I've never seen a big, wealthy, powerful government that, uh, get corrupted and then fix that corruption. I've never seen it. There may be little blips where you get some, quote, reformer in there, and almost always this guy has to kill people to get this done, by the way. But there may be blips where you get this reformer in there, like uh, Sulla. Sulla is a great example. Lucius Cornelius Sulla of Rome. I'm not going to bore you with the details of it, but he was the guy. He thought the system was rotted out. And these populists were have, getting too much power, and this and we have to we have to get in there and clean out all these people and clean out the corruption. Well, that sounds good, right? And he he stepped up as dictator, took over. Two years later, Rome was pretty much back to where he wanted it. Yeah, but he had to kill thousands of people to do that. He didn't step in and pass some laws. He started cutting people's heads off right away. Oh, and even then. Even then, once he retired, because he retired after just a couple years in power, it went right back to being corrupted again. I've never seen a nation get wealthy, get corrupt, and fix itself. You're at the DOD. I can't imagine the things you've seen. I can't imagine. I don't have anything good to tell you about how to fix it. I don't know that it can be fixed. It's like... uh, It's like if you're to go to a busy sidewalk in whatever major city is around you and you're standing there, and let's say you're a big dude. You're an unarmed but big dude, and you're standing there. And in front of you, you set down a briefcase that is full of $100 bills, singles, crowded sidewalk. Are you going to have people come by and grab those $100 bills? Of course. How many? Lots. Are you going to be able to fight some off? Of course. Is eventually that suitcase going to be empty? Yeah, it is. People look at getting involved with our government, and they say to themselves, it's a way to get rich. And for a lot of people, it has been. And that's a sickening thought, right? I mean, look, you need defense contractors. You want the private sector to be advancing in technology and weaponry and so we can be on the cutting edge. So it's not like you don't want that stuff. But isn't it kind of sick knowing how many people out there, as we speak, are flying a private jet across the world to go eat grapes with the Swedish bikini team? And that private jet and that Swedish bikini team was paid with your and my tax dollars? It hurts, doesn't it? Maybe that's just necessary. That stuff hurts. Dear Jesse, Hurricane Nacho, Steel Bandito Kelly, you finally told the Nacho story and it did not disappoint. I laughed and thought about the crazy stuff I'd done in my younger days. How we survive must be purely by the grace of God. Anyway, when you got back to your truck with the Cajun shrimp, how was it? I did forget to finish that part of it. Remember, I took off from Phoenix in August. It was a 10-day trip. The night before, I had gone to Red Lobster, yes, for real, and I had leftover Cajun shrimp Alfredo because I'm 
used to taking leftovers. I took the leftovers, put them in the back seat of my truck, and forgot them in my truck in Phoenix in August for 10 days. That's probably, in all, in all seriousness, I might have to look this up. I would guess, Chris, tell me if I'm out of, ba- if I'm out of bounds here. 110 degrees in Phoenix. That's, that's very accurate. That's probably 130 in the truck, right? Is that fair? Is that fair? Okay, so that's 10 days of 130 degrees with shrimp in the back of the truck. I'll put it to you this way. My buddy Jesse and I, when we got back to my truck, because we had to go back to Tucson. We flew out of Phoenix because it was cheaper. So we had a two-hour drive when we got back from Jamaica. We opened up the doors of my truck, and we had both, I mean, we'd both been through combat, and neither of us are exactly, you know, soft-stomached. We were both dry heaving when we opened up the doors. It was, again, it was 110 degrees, and we drove for two hours with the windows down because we could not put them up. We had to get the smell out. I'm not finished. Hang on. Without them guns, you ain't nothing but a skinny lunger. Dad, what an ugly thing to say. Our poor ugliness. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? (laughs) (laughs) It's the Jesse Kelly Show. Man, this is our our final segment of this show. Remember, we are down for a couple weeks now. We'll be playing best ofs and stuff like that. And then June 28th. The brand new massive 200 plus station show starts 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern all across America. And don't worry, it's still going to be us. It's still going to be us and we're going to laugh and have fun and it's going to be a blast. If you missed it earlier, the first guest, and I'm only going to have one guest to show from now on, the first guest for our show Tucker Carlson, 6.30 p.m. He's our first guest we're going to have on. I texted him. He said, sure, man, happy to do it. So that'll be cool. Back to your emails. Let's get to as many as we can. Jesse, I spent the the past six summers working lawn care in the city of Chicago, a good percentage of it in poor black neighborhoods. Over the time, I've talked to a lot of black people who I can tell are conservative-minded and could definitely be influenced that the Republican Party would spend time talking to these people. They just don't, though. They write them off. We on the right see a black man in Black Lives Matter shirt and automatically assume he's some hardened leftist, when in reality, he just doesn't realize the extent of BLM's twisted mission. Black people that love Obama are thought of as not worth the time because they must be hardened Democrats, when in reality, they are just supportive of the man for being the first man to be black president. Most of them disagree with a lot of his policies and beliefs. My point... I believe that Republicans are missing an enormous opportunity by not throwing everything they have at urban America. It's a goldmine of voters that Republicans have been too lazy or stupid to try to recruit. With illegal immigration granting the left a never-ending future voting pool, the right must start hitting these inner-city streets with everything they have. Gun rights, abortion, taxes, cancel culture, etc. Also, congrats on your new dig. 
on your new gig. The announcement wasn't a dud after all. He says, I can say his name. His name's Pat from Chicago. You are 100% right and wrong. Here's what I mean. You are right. Republicans not going after the urban black community when, in my opinion, they are tailor-made Republican voters is a criminal mistake on the Republican Party's part. However, two things to that. One, the Republican Party does have voices emerging that are saying this. We have people from the urban black community who are starting to run. We have people on the right, black voices on the right, who are saying, let's get into these places. Let's talk to these people. Let's let's extend a hand. You're right. We should go there. It's criminal. We haven't. However, you mentioned the guy in the Black Lives Matter shirt, assuming he's a leftist when in reality he doesn't know the extent of it. Let's be clear about something. That guy's culpable, too. It's not like Black Lives Matter hid their goal. If you're going to take a fancy name and skin color and automatically support something, don't lecture me then when you get burned. Black Lives Matter had destruction of the nuclear family as one of their core issues on their website. It's not like you had to be some kind of genius to figure out this is a scumbag group of Marxists who's hell-bent on destruction. So if you found yourself in a Black Lives Matter shirt, no, maybe you're not a hardened communist, but you got to own that too. And the Obama thing, like like voting for Obama just because he's black, I do get that. I understand it. I understand it. I've always said that. I understand it. At the same time, Don't think that that's an excuse for you. I voted against everything I believe in because he's black. Really? Don't think that's an excuse. It's not. That's not an excuse. We all, all of us have to do better. All of us do. Yes, the Republican Party has failed. They've written off the urban black community. It's a disgrace. They should go in there more, and they're starting to. But no, I, I, if people aren't going to take five seconds to research the things they support, then that's not on me. That's on them. How many times have you talked to some idiot leftist about something and you bring up a basic fact that's easy to find out and they're just shocked? It just floors them. And you're, you find yourself looking at them thinking, wait, did you even bother to look into any of what you believe? Because it doesn't seem like you looked into it at all. And you'll find out they didn't. Well, that's not on you. That's on them. Take the time to, be- to find out what you believe. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it. That's our old friend, Yuri Bezmanov. There, look, responsibility goes both ways. It goes both ways. Yes, the Republican Party should have done a lot better. I'm glad Donald Trump made a lot of inroads. I'm glad we have strong voices who we have on the show all the time talking about that. But responsibility goes both ways. If you found yourself in a Black Lives Matter shirt, and now you're in an urban part of one of the big cities and murder rates are through the roof... While you're looking to blame everyone else, maybe put that Black Lives Matter shirt back on and go look in the mirror. Do better.
It is the Jesse Kelly Show, and I'm not giving you the phone number. Because this is going to change. The email address is not going to change, though. All your emails will go right to Jewish producer Chris. He will get them to me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. The brand new 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time Jesse Kelly Show launches on June 28th. Our first guest is going to be Tucker Carlson. We are going to laugh. We're going to hammer issues. Yep, still going to be talking history. That's not going to change. It's just not going to be the first hour of it. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and get my first history podcast ready. I'm excited about the separate history portion of it. Just know, I'm not changing the world. I'm not leading anything. I'm just trying to make your day better for 15 minutes at a time. That that we've been able to accomplish that to this point that we're getting promoted, we'll take it. Keep your chin up. Have a good weekend. I will see you on June 28th. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts 
of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.